Hello, everybody. Welcome to Health Chatter. Today's show is the third in our trifecta of shows on mental health. And we're going to be focusing on policy implications, which is an interesting twist when you think about it as it relates to a um, a medical-oriented condition. So we'll have some interesting insights with our illustrious guest, Dr. Mike Trangle. And we'll get into that in a second. Of course, I'd like to thank our, our great crew that's second to none, and I keep saying that, and I'll continue to say that because they really are. Maddie Levine-Wolf, Aaron Collins, Deandra Howard, Sheridan Nygaard do our background research for us, help us with, with recording from time to time. And uh, Sheridan also does um, our marketing for Health Chatter, so thank you to all of you. Matthew Campbell, Without his logistical production expertise, we would be lost. So thank you to him for getting our shows out in in great fashion. And then also, I want to especially thank and always thank uh, Clarence Clarence Jones. This has been a, a fun endeavor. We uh, we continue to enjoy it. We always say that when we stop having fun, the show will stop. But I don't, I don't think that's going to be a problem. I really, really don't. So, Clarence, thank you. And then finally, Human Partnership is our um, our sponsor for these these shows. They provide some really good insights for us and our community organization that's really involved with health issues. A great great community partner. And I recommend that everybody check out their website at humanpartnership.com. With that, let's get the show going. We have Dr. Mike Trango. And as I mentioned, this is our third show on mental health. We probably, and Mike can probably attest to this, we probably could do a, a bunch more. And who knows, we might, we might do that coming up. But We've talked about um, other aspects, the clinical aspects and the problematic aspects of, of mental health. And so today we're going to be talking about policy implications. Uh, Dr. Trangle has has an illustrious career in, in dealing with um, mental health, and he keeps a real positive attitude about it, and it's greatly appreciated. He's... Um, He's a distinguished lifetime fellow of the American Psychiatric Association, immediate past president of the Minnesota Psychiatric Society. He was on the National Quality Forum Standing Behavioral Health Measurement Committee, participates in a lot of policy-oriented uh, issues around mental health, uh, certainly in the state of Minnesota, and is noted nationally to provide some insight as well. So Mike, thanks again, really um, greatly appreciate you being with us today. You know, when I was president of the Minnesota Psychiatric Society, it wasn't immediate, it was a few years ago now. <laughs> a few years, okay. Yeah. So it wasn't immediate past, it was yeah. in the past. Yeah. <laughs> but nonetheless. I'm over my PTSD from it. <laughs> okay. 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 Great. No, just all right. So thanks for being with us. So all right, let's get this this one going here. Um you know, I, this is kind of the angst that that I have felt um around health issues as it relates to policy. There are some health related issues that get 
um, a lot of funding. They get a lot of um, research dollars, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I certainly can relate to that, you know, when I was uh, dealing with cardiovascular issues at the state health department. But there always seems to be um, an angst or a disconnect between truly what is needed in the mental health arena, and, and God knows we, we need help in this arena, and those particular policy needs. So Mike, to, to kind of get this going, do you sense that as well? Do you, do you see that it, it's a harder sell for mental health issues from a policy perspective than perhaps some of the other clinically oriented issues and, and diseases and manifestations that we all deal with? I mean, I think that's an understatement. Uh, understatement. So, okay. so not only do I agree with that, I think it really is understated. And and uh, I don't know how to say it exactly, but I don't want to be redundant from what I said on uh, um, one of the earlier podcasts we did. But I mean, there are certain things if you if you have uh, all of a sudden you have a heart attack or something, um, uh, it may scare you uh, and make you anxious. Um, but it's not taboo to talk about it, you know? Yeah. And you can. And I think mental health stuff, not so much substance abuse disorder. I think that's just plain discrimination and you have to uh, buck up and try harder. And it's a character flaw in, in, in the myth, not in reality, you know? Um, but for mental health issues, um, it's just scary to people and they want to deny it or suppress it or not want to talk about it. And they, they don't, even relatives, you know, historically, even though it's better now, want to avoid any shame or stigma associated with it. And it, it's sort of like, uh, uh, you know, it was avoided more than anything, you know, let alone yeah. research, you know. Um, and it wasn't like it was uh, um, the gun lobby, you know, or the tobacco lobby saying you can't research. We're going to put that into federal law because of politics mm -hmm. and uh, financial interests, you know, interests. Mm -hmm. It was more sort of widespread than that. So. You know, you've been in the field a long, long time. Has it um, has it gotten better? Yes, it has gotten better. We we now have much stronger lobbying, uh, and I think in some ways um, the strongest lobbying for sure in Minnesota is NAMI, the National Alliance for Mental yeah. Illness, um, mainly composed of folks that are family members, uh, um, and and they've been empowered and have done a superb job of uh, uh, speaking up about those issues. Yeah, uh, I may have a little vested interest. I, I mean, I've been on the board of NAMI for a while, but even before it, I was ad admiring them mm -hmm. and stuff and speaking. Out. Yeah, and the other kind of powerhouse nationally, a little less so in Minnesota, but up and coming is it, it, mm -hmm. nationally. It's the Mental Health Association, which is composed mm -hmm. in some sense with a higher proportion of people with lived experience, uh, as well as others that are interested parties. Here, mm -hmm. uh, the chapter in Minnesota is called Mental Health Minnesota. Uh, oh, okay. renamed, but also sort of uh, uh, they're finding that uh, people listen to them and seek them out and are more interested uh, like in, in, in Mental Health Minnesota in the old days doing surveys. What do you think? They're ambassadors who can speak to the experience to both uh, in different chapters throughout the state uh, and, and let people know whether it's county employees or mental health providers. There are uh, advisory groups that are getting more potency. And it's it's really important that that happens. So, Clarence, you know, you know, as you know, before I 
pass the baton to you. It's like, you know, you're involved in the community a lot. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I can't help but think that you see some of these true mental health issues. So besides, you know, mm -hmm. some of the thoughts that you have in general, you might want to add that into the equation here. Yeah, you know, I, I that was that's actually my question here is how is mental health impact measured? Uh, because I think that part of um, what concerns me, I think you use the term it's understated. I mean, or the, you talk about funding and things like that. How do they measure that? Uh, because as a person, you know, you, you uh, as a community member, I see a lot of issues, and I'm not quite sure that that we are really gathering what's really going on. So how is mental health issues impact measured? So let me uh, let me just dig into it here. Okay. Um, so in 1996, more than a few years ago, uh, mm -hmm. in the federal level, there was a Mental Health Parity and Addiction Equity Act that was passed. It took Congress more than 10 years to... Uh, 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 actually come up with rules of how are they going to define it and how they were going to try and see if anything happened, you know? Um, and then they came up with rules that sat on a shelf and nobody noticed. Then in 2008, this is where uh, Wellstone and Dimitri, Dimitri yeah. came up and they, they uh, passed the, um, what was it technically called the uh, uh, MHPAEA, very, very sexy title, but mental health, Parity and uh, uh, Addiction Enforcement Act, you know, um, and um, uh, came up with stricter kinds of things to try and enforce it. And it also didn't get enforced. And um, uh, like a year and a half ago, two years ago, they did an audit, which was a joint audit, uh, looking at health plans and seeing if they were actually complying with the uh, treating mental health issues and substance use disorder issues equally and found that no health plans did in the nation. This was wow. a joint study done by Department of Labor, HHS, and uh, what was the other department? Um, it'll, I, I don't know, it's in my notes here, but there were three, Labor, Health and Human Services, and Commerce, that's the other one. Mm -hmm. And basically no health plans were doing it. It still wasn't being enforced. Minnesota mm -hmm. came up with a law that got passed and also isn't being enforced much. You know, Minnesota got a grant maybe three, four years ago, a one-time grant to hire somebody to try and look at enforcing parity. Um, and the first thing they found out, this was through the Department of Commerce, was that nobody even knew that commerce was involved. <laughs> wow. Well, thought to complain or let them know if there were problems or issues. <laughs> and with this dedicated person, they started getting the word out there and they started getting some complaints. And uh, we're now seeing some. And then that grant went away. So the dedicated uh, temporary kind of uh, person to work on that went away. And commerce tends to be a small department with a lot of unlike other departments in the state of Minnesota with a lot of duties and not enough people to do it, to do the duties. Um, and um, one of the things that uh, I, uh, NAMI and Minnesota Psych Society lobbied for was, and it finally happened, uh, was to come up with dedicated funding to have a, a basically a two-person department um, called the Enforcement Department within Commerce, mm -hmm. which hasn't started yet. It's supposed to start next January. 
But if you notice, Minnesota had um, earlier this year uh, did an enforcement action with a fine against health partners. And more recently, they did it against um, who was it? Who was it? They did it against more recently. Was it Alina? Um, yes. No. Yeah. Okay. No, it was a it was a health plan. It was either Medica or Blue Cross Blue Shield. Yeah. But yeah. They did another yeah. enforcement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to I want to do a follow up question really quick though. So what does this policy <laughs> confusion have to do with the impact on health? I mean, you know. Well, um, how do I want to say this? You guys, you guys have a core of researchers and you care about data and you want to have factually base whatever opinions you come up with. Correct. Yes. Yes. Um, I think that hasn't been done in mental health much. It hasn't been measured much, which is what one of you were saying earlier. Right. So, so you know, I, you know, my. my you know, when you really think about this, it's like, you know, first of all, what comes to my mind, Mike, is how does Minnesota compare like with other states around the country? Are we, even though you're just, you're describing here a not too good situation, are we still maybe a little better than what's going on in other states? Or is everyone, you know, all the states kind of fumbling around trying to figure out what's the best way to get this thing going. So there were measures that came out in 2023 from Mental Health America, which is okay. the uh, association, the consumer-based association that I talked about. Yeah. Um, and if they look at adults, Minnesota is ranked, and this is in, um, they're trying to look at the prevalence of mental illness uh, uh, which tend to be as well as how high your access is to get care for people and whether they get better. Okay. So they have a series of me measures looking at prevalence and access in that. I'm scrolling through here. In that one, Minnesota was ranked number one is the best. Number 51 is the worst. Minnesota was number 36. And looking at wow. the same thing for youth, in Minnesota, Minnesota was 21. In looking at just the prevalence of mental illness, which I think, if you think about it, uh, um, is how much is going on at this point in time. So you might have people that got depressed but got treated and got better, and then it wouldn't be right. our prevalence rate would be a little bit lower. And in that ranking, we are. Number 41, even worse. Wow. And wow. Um, access to care, which I think is hugely important. Right. Um, and you look at how many adults could just, um, who had things but did not receive treatment, who report having an unmet need, yeah. who are uninsured and then have a harder time uh, getting access, Yeah. Uh, who are living with uh, more than 14 plus days in a month and could not see a doctor because of costs. Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, basically, so it's people that really need help and aren't getting it. Minnesota is 14, so a little bit better than that in access. All right, so who's, uh, uh, Clarence, I'll get to you in a second. Who's kind of like the best in the country? Is there is there a particular state that, that's kind of 
ranking up there. Like, I don't know, Hawaii usually gets some good rankings, you know, on health related issues. But is there one that that sticks out that? Yeah, let me uh, look it up here. You know, perhaps could be a model to help, you know, other states get get the ball rolling here a little bit. Clarence, and and I'll let you chime in in the meantime here, too. Yeah, I was at, yeah, I think that, thank you for those, uh, those uh, rankings. I mean, on the overall, in the overall adult rankings, yeah, they vary from state to state. It's not like one is good in everything, you know? Yeah, right, right, right. So the overall ranking, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, Delaware, um, yeah, did okay. Okay. The worst ones were Kansas, Oregon, which is a little surprising, Arizona, yeah. Alabama. Yeah. All right. And we're kind of middle of the road from what yeah. you're, yeah. Yeah. What you're saying. Yeah. 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 Go ahead, Clarence. No, I was I was uh, I was very interested in, in terms of the ranking because mental health is one of those issues that we talk about a lot about in the community. Uh and the unfortunate thing is that um it's that many people, when they talk about it, they are not sure what to do, or they talk about access and things like that. And so this kind of uh, conversation, I think, is very, very important for us to understand about about health policies and how and why we should be involved in them. I mean, if we're in this kind of situation, we need to be more involved. And from a community perspective, we need to be more involved in it. You know, can I just say one thing? You're right. We do need to be more involved. But when you compare that to the general medical rankings, which are a little yeah. bit more consistent. Right. You know, yeah. Minnesota does really pretty well. If you look at yeah. longevity, we're one of the top ones. But but there, there are consistent states that basically have better access and better quality and better mm-hmm. ways to get people in, to help them get in. Mm-hmm. Massachusetts, Minnesota, Wisconsin, some other New England states, mm-hmm. Hawaii tends mm-hmm. to do okay there. Um, but but um in mental health, we're just we're at best just average. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. interesting because it's um, you know, in many things, you know, Minnesota is 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 pretty good health health-wise, but, but this is a this is a consistent thing. Right. We have disparities, we have problems with access right. to care. And so and I'm sure I'm correct me if I'm wrong, Mike that uh, that rings true in the uh, the mental health arena as as well access and disparities and i'm going to say the same thing too before you answer mike um is that i i think that you're right uh while those those rankings are are high or those rankings are what they are i think in communities especially uh, other communities it's it's a lot worse and that's why this conversation is so important because it is a consistent conversation that comes up but it's like how do we enter the conversation how do we enter the question uh what can we do uh, and i believe that this kind of conversation helps us to to re- to think or to you know hopefully to incite people to to be more concerned about the public policies and to work towards getting better access for these services yeah you know um there it's so multifactorial but if you think about it just in the u.s compared to other countries you know other countries may have national health services and everybody gets uh, access to care it gets paid for Mm -hmm. you know Uh, the u.s is is all over the map 
And depending um, what's going on with state legislatures and politics and whether uh, uh, you don't want to pay for stuff with taxes, you know, less people get covered by insurance. It's harder to get into MA. Uh, there's less money available for disability kind of wraparound services and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in Minnesota tends to, in terms of social support compared to the whole vast U.S., mm-hmm. tends to be, tend to have a, a sort of a little better safety net for mm-hmm. mental health social services. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, uh, and a little, and more people here tend to get insured one way or the other. Minnesota care covers the working mm-hmm. poor, you know, some of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But what's available, uh, but, but it's still, we don't even think about it. It's like the air we breathe about how um, uh, the population in the U.S. is stratified by wealth, by whether you're employed, whether you can uh, uh, qualify for MA or not, by whether your county is a richer county and chooses to sort of have more county-based services for things. Mm. Um, And um, it's not that way so much for medical things. It's, It's worse you know, and traditionally it's changed, but traditionally it's been, even if we might pay for medical stuff, we would pay less for mental health. Medicare, you know, the national right, thing right. Yeah. was, was uh, 80% paid for, for medical and 50%, you know, until about 15 years ago, you know? Um, and, uh, um, you know, chemical dependency services weren't paid for at all, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, how hard or easy you make it, to get into those services. Mm-hmm. And the, the other thing you think about is, um, how do I wanna say this? In mental health, the tradition has been, um, if you have a problem, you have to prove it's a bad problem, you've had it for yeah. a while before you get, you'd have access to services. Mm-hmm. Not at all like, I had a heart attack and I need something. You know, yeah, right. my leg, I need rehab services. You know, here you gotta prove that, that uh, it's bad, it's serious, much worse than for medical things. It's always been sort of unfair, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just, it, and 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 certainly, you know, based on some of the, the information that our, our great staff have provided here, it's, it, you know, mental health issues more than likely will lead into other health related mm-hmm. issues. So they, it's, it's like mm-hmm. they, they go hand in hand here and it's mm-hmm. like all right what what's going on all right so here's here before i get out you know for the listening audience i'll give some some of these statistics that we're seeing lately i mean and and i'm sure this has even got worse during covid for instance but all right mike here i i really need an opinion from you if you had a a magical wand in your hand right now where would you focus mental health policy out of the gate? I mean, you know, based on your your professional experience, what would you really like to see really move? Call it a priority from your perspective. You know, um, I think I agree with what Biden was saying. You know, yeah. he did a thing like a week ago or whenever it was. Uh, and he said, one of our priorities is to really enforce parity. And we're really mean at yeah. this time, even though it's the fifth time around and it's been meant, but not really enforced, not really followed up on really for at least 20 or 30 years. It's been lip service. You yeah. know? 
Um, and I don't know exactly, you know, the Department of Labor is now soliciting feedback on uh, how they want to sort of really mean it this time and enforce parity, you know. Um, and um, one of the, you know, the things that they're highlighting in, in what they're proposing, at least, they're still getting feedback on it, is um, every health plan has to have a, a statement of purpose on what they mean by parity. They have, have to have clear definitions um, uh, uh, on what limitations are and why. And they have to have a written analysis comparing the limitations and measuring it um, and measuring outcomes. Although in a funny way, outcomes are, you know, uh, historically have been weird. You know, it's like how many people have we covered on this or something? It's a raw number. It doesn't yeah. give you a percent of the population. It doesn't compare you to medical. How many people get in? How long do you wait to get in for X, Y, or Z? You know, and uh, it, it, if you don't measure it routinely, you don't know where you're at. And if you try to improve it, you won't even know where what parts are improving and what parts aren't improving. You know, so one of the things that we proposed, for example, here, we being sort of a consortium of mental health folks, is um, what we proposed and didn't make it through the legislature. The only thing that really made it through the legislature not the only thing. There were a lot of things that made it through the Minnesota legislature. But one of the things we proposed that didn't was that everybody that's paying for mental health services and CD services should be measuring how long it takes to routinely get in, not in emergency cases or urgent cases, yeah, how long yeah. it takes to get in and whether you can get back in in a timely way. And it should be compared to uh, the medical services. So if I'm waiting to get in to see a psychiatrist, it shouldn't be any longer than it takes me to get in to see a uh, primary care doc or mm -hmm. uh, an orthopod or a heart person. You know, um, dermatology is hard to get into these days. Right. Yeah. Dermatology. <laughs> but, uh, but we're that, worse than dermatology. Good... <laughs> and at the yeah. same time, at the same time, we've been proposing that we sort of uh, in a supervised, safe way, expand the workforce so that we're including um uh, nurse practitioners, um, physicians assistants that have specialized training in, in psychiatric behavioral health issues, both uh, uh, mental health and substance abuse issues, and that we measure that and compare them to nurse practitioners um, in medical surgical kinds of places. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we're proposing you measure if, if you break your leg, how long does it take in to get into a rehab mm -hmm. or a transitional care unit? We should do the same thing that people are now sitting in inpatient psych units waiting to get out, but they're not safe to go home. Correct. You know, how long they're waiting to get into a foster home, how many they're waiting into a uh, residential treatment center, um, mm -hmm. uh, those kinds of things and compare those. Um, uh, um and I think doing that and expecting the health plans to improve, we said by 25% each year until they're within 10% of what it takes to get into the medical surgical would really go a long way, you know? Um, so let me ask you, you can't Mike, get in, you're not going to get help. You're not going to get better. Right, exactly. So let me ask you, um, you know, your dear colleague, um, Nico Pronk was, um, you know, the co-chair of the, um, of Healthy People 2030 the objectives for the nation. Okay, so um, I don't know if you're you're familiar. I, I know I'm not off the top of my head, but you know, from the mental health standpoint, um, I I believe they at least touched on this idea of 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 parity. 
Okay, but even still, an objective for the nation by 2030, you know, my my feeling is, can we wait that long? And I, I really don't think we can. I think we got to get our acts together and get moving. Yeah, I mean, not get, you know, more and more people are dying for lack of getting in and getting what they need. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know? yeah. And and yeah. and like like we talked about earlier, you know, we're sort of in a period where the percentage of people with uh, anxiety, worsening anxiety and depression um, it's, is skyrocketing. We yeah. know suicides are going up. We know that uh, deaths from uh, deaths of despair from sometimes intentional, sometimes accidental opiate overdoses are increasing majorly. Um, I think the urgency is there. It really is a crisis. You know, so, I uh, I appreciate that. I, I, I that was because that's kind of my 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 next question, which is, I don't have a magic wand, uh, but I do <laughs> I do want your opinion about this. What did COVID uncover about mental health conditions in this country? Yeah. Um, how do I want to say this? I mean, COVID um, isolated people, removed them from their normal habits, less exercise, less. You know, going less going to work and getting whatever social supports you might from uh, colleagues there, as well as more pressures. You know, um, uh, one of the things it showed though was that for mental health and for substance use disorders, tele video or just telephone audio only can be a lifeline. You know, there was a surge in 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 um, kind of telehealth, both audio only and televideo. And then the surge has sort of gone down and is, it waxed and then it kind of waned, except for behavioral health, where it stayed right up there. Um, uh, I uh, was the immediate, unlike for the Psych Society, the immediate uh, past chair of the Governor's Mental Health Advisory Council. Yeah. And we heard in spades there uh, just uh, how crucial it was, especially for people that had substance use disorders and their group stopped because of COVID. But being able to talk to somebody, whether it's televideo, video or audio only, was a lifeline for many of them. And it just kept them alive. They, they didn't relapse as much. They didn't overdose. Uh, and it was the same thing for people that were rural or old people um, mm-hmm. that aren't technologically sophisticated and couldn't get televideo stuff going or didn't have good Internet. Um, mm-hmm. That really is hugely important. Um, doesn't replace. It's not an either or. But your internet is on the fritz. If you can talk to somebody on the telephone, it can it could just be so helpful, you know. Exactly. When do, you, yeah. when do you use it? But having it in your armamentarium and having it in your armamentarium in a way where it's not more costly. During the pandemic, um, televideo was paid for at the same rate as face to face. And when the when that emergency ends, some health plans are talking about paying less for it or not paying for audio only or paying less for that. I hope that doesn't happen. There's been an emergency extension, but that question is going to get called and hopefully people can band together and say, don't shortchange people. It's necessary. Absolutely. Absolutely. Behavioral health problems. And that was my, that was kind of like my follow-up question too, is that there has to have been some learning that will be applied to public policies around mental health. I mean, they have, you know, I mean, you, you just talked about the telehealth and, and the importance of that. And I don't understand if it was working, why would they take it away? Or why would they, you know, you know, penalize people for, for utilizing something that we know worked? Um, I'm going to answer this uncharacteristically a little more diplomatically than I sometimes would. 
Um, uh, this is health chatter now. You can you can say you what can, you well, say. I'll do both. I'll do okay. both. I'll do both. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. I think there is a reason to sort of. I think there are always a few bad apples, and there are a, a, a very a small number of people that try to do fraud and abuse, and and I think our and and um, many of our payment systems, whether it's Medicare, whether it's Medicaid, whether it's private insurances, are always on the watch for that, and. I think it's been overdone, overclaimed, and and there are all these rules and regulations to try and catch these things. And I think they cause. I don't think you can ignore it, but I think it, it's it's made it much more difficult and scary for people to try and do it. And and um, be, because of that, you always have some tension to be about how do we avoid that? How do we how do we enforce things? But at the same time, how do we make it easy enough for people that need it to get in and not cause too much rigmarole and this and that and steps and delays and waits and barriers? And I think we are far more people harmed by the barriers than we do by catching fraud with our existing systems. Yeah, uh, no kidding. And no um, kidding. Uh, uh, and how do I want to say this? Nobody wants, you know, healthcare is getting more and more expensive for everybody. And sure. how do you keep the cost down, you know? Um, and um, once again, I think we've done a much better job of keeping the, of, I think we've done a poor job of keeping the cost down, but even a better job of uh, screening people out and limiting what they get Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, in, in the pursuit of trying to keep it affordable and not hitting sort of the, the uh, um, classic things you don't think about that are really problematic, you know, like uh, looking at costs, you know, and trying to figure out how do we keep, how do we keep them down? Whether it's, uh, um, all the things with the, uh, all the sort of like hoops we have to jump through, how many people have to, how much time, effort, and energy goes, goes into sort of doing that, the delays that go into that. Uh, it's a very costly part of our system. Um, and, uh, um, I don't know. You know, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. This, this is kind of where, you know, it's very, very complicated. There's a, a gazillion variables, as you noted earlier, Mike. But here's the bottom line, as far as I'm concerned. Somebody presents themselves desperately needing help. Okay, if, they, if they're able to even get to that point. Desperately needing help with some mental health disorder. It's like when they're in that state, I can only imagine that they don't care about all this other all this other stuff, the, the research, and they don't care about the numbers. I need help now. And I need to somebody good, see somebody good right away. Exactly, exactly. And it's like, what the heck? Why is the system so unnecessarily burdensome and broken to the point whereby that person cannot get help. And it's more broken in behavioral health, I think, than anywhere around. Anywhere I, else around. I, I tend to agree. I mean, you know, some of the numbers here, this is insane. 2019, nearly a bill, this is worldwide now, nearly a billion people, including 14% of the world's adolescents, we're living with a mental disorder. This is uh, this is unconscionable, I, I believe. 
people with with severe mental health conditions die on average of 10 to 20 years earlier than the general population mostly due to preventable things that can be, that can that can help them i mean I, it's just insane in in minnesota i think we might have mentioned this in one of our previous shows but it's worthwhile stating it again in 2023, 28.3% of adults in Minnesota reported, this is close to a quarter, one in four people reported symptoms of anxiety or a depressive disorder compared to 32% in the United States overall. All right, so we're maybe a little better, but not good by any stretch of the imagination. And I believe that we're going to see other major um, issues that affect our health overall, like an, like another pandemic. It's it's inevitable. We'll see that. And guess what? Mental health will be greatly affected if if our history, based on this one and previous ones, bears us out. So it's like I feel so almost helpless as a healthcare provider mm-hmm. trying to provide some insight for people that really need some mental health expertise and where do people begin to even start yeah let me let me say let me ask this question uh, really quickly and we'll get back to just your question sam you know when i think about mental health i think i have a very global perspective of what that looks like Okay, I think I have this broader worldview is that, you know, it's it's somebody that truly acts out uh, with uh, with behaviors that that uh, are noticeable. But I want to ask the question about what are the other conditions that people don't identify as mental health issues that we should be making people aware of from a community perspective? Am I making sense? Yeah, that. Yeah, and, I mean, the ones that the ones that people notice, you know, um, are somebody that has a psychotic episode and acts right. strange yeah, and scary, yeah, right. talks to go. themselves. Um, but in, in a lot of ways, if you're depressed, you know, most people, not the, not not everybody, but most people kind of shut down, you know, and and they 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 lose their they lose their optimism. They lose their energy. Their sleep is affected. They're, they get totally pessimistic. They they may show up at work, but not think or do anything, not speak up. They may just stay at home uh, and they sort of fall into isolation. And you may not yeah. notice them because they're not you're not seeing them anymore. You know, mm-hmm. and and, you know, um, how do I want to say this? Uh, there's such an interrelation between people that I I'm a. I'm a woman and I get depressed. You might be a little more like a woman that's really upset about something. You may be a little bit more likely to get depressed. If you're a guy, you might be drinking more or using drugs more. And it shows up that way, you know, mm-hmm. it's cause and effect both ways, you know, but, uh, um, and, and, um, you know, we don't really have a good way of measuring all the suicides. It's always undercounted. You know, some car accidents, some overdoses, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. It's they're not really accidents always, you know. Yeah. Um, so how do we help people? How do we help people identify these issues? Because I think that, you know, for some 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 uh, behavior, people just say, well, it's just normal. 
You know, I mean, you talk about drinking, you know, well, you know, everybody drinks, you know what I mean? So how do we, as a community member, I'm asking this question as a community member, you know, okay? I think people, how do I want to say this? Um, people are reticent and avoid asking people because of the shame and stigma and just discomfort. And and if you have somebody you care about and you kind of know, I think it would be great if you sort of say, you know, I, I notice you're not your normal self these days, you know? is something going on or you know you doing okay you know and and just shut up and listen see what they have to say allow them to talk and and um you don't have to cure them you don't have to this and that but you don't most people welcome being asked and somebody reaching out in a in a sort of a supportive neutral way um and then maybe you can problem you don't have to cure you know you don't have to be an expert but you can reach out let them know they're not alone you notice something could be an entree maybe you should get some help but if you don't reach out uh and, and just sort of try to begin a conversation not in a blaming shaming way but in a supportive i care about you way um you, you know i, I think that's that, the way we, to start yeah as you would talk about that i thought i think about how we greet each other how you doing Exactly. You know, you know, and, and actually ask them what they, how are they doing? Yeah. Not like I, I, a nice weather, is it? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I got a, I got a great little sidebar story on, on that one. Um, about two, three months ago, one of our neighbors down, down the street, I saw her walking on, on the sidewalk and I knew that she had just gone through a, um, a medical issue. And so she was carefully walking down the sidewalk and and I saw her and and really encouraged her, really really encouraged her, and it I I know I just know that it really felt good to her to know that somebody was willing to just stop and you know and, and give her a hug. Then this last weekend we had a little alley party and there she was, and she looked great. I mean, you know, from when I saw her just, you know, two months ago or whatever, and I told her, I, I, I went out of my way to go up to her and say, you know, I see you looking much better. And I'm hoping that that is the case. A simple little thing like that can, yeah. can really be helpful for people. And their mental health, I would, I would assume, you know, just this more human interaction. I think, though, you know, uh, Dr. Trangle said this, is that I think that people are afraid of being intrusive, you know, getting into their, uh, I was talking about there's a difference between business and business. You know, people, <laughs> don't, people don't want to get into your business, you know what I'm saying? And so they, 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 they're very, very uh, uh, surfacy. In terms of that, and I think that what you're saying, uh, using even finding the language to ask the question is going to be very, very important. And then to help people understand that to go deeper with the how are you doing and then how are you really, really doing is what I yeah. want you to say. Yeah. How are you really, really doing is something that we need to talk about. And uh, I know that this is it's back to uh, to our work about, you know, policies, implications and stuff like that. But I think the more that people are aware of what is really going on, the better off we can be as a nation. And I think that that's, you know, and as a community. You know, it's, it's not even finding the words. There are studies that people have done saying that if you just look somebody in the eye, you know, yeah, and smile yeah. at and smile at them, it's, it's a way of recognizing them. 
saying they exist. Yeah. I'm noticing you. And a smile means, you know, I mean, if you notice them and you and you like frown and make a fist, it's the opposite mm-hmm. bad effect. But if you smile, uh, it's a warm, encouraging uh, gesture that helps people feel a little better. You know, you know what, one, me, one me, thing I know for sure is I've been I've been telling friends and colleagues and and, and family that have um, something that comes up medically or mental health or or what have you. And I offer this idea to them. I said, put me, stay on, on your speed dial. If you need yeah. help, I'm there for you. I'm I'm really I, and, right. and I and I mean that sincerely. Mm-hmm. And and they whether they do or they don't doesn't really matter. Just the gesture means so much for a lot of people. I want to tell this story, Sam. You, you told your story. I remember a news reporter, uh, this had to be 20, 30 years ago. Uh, who decided that he was going to be on the streets for a week. And uh, he was on the street for a week as a homeless person. That's what he was going to do as a homeless person. He said it only took him a, a, maybe a day and a half before he felt totally out of it because people wouldn't look him in the eye. They wouldn't say anything to him. Yeah. And that made me cry because, yeah. I, I, you know, I think about I think about the humanness of, of people, but it also made me make, made a commitment to look people in the eye. I mean, even the homeless people or people that I'm not necessarily appreciative of their behavior, I still will look them in the eye and say something to them because I think it's important to recognize as, that, as, as Dr. Trangle, you said, the humanness of, of them, and I, which is something I think that we forget because we all need to be, we all need to feel like we belong. You know, anyway, that's, that's, that's my story. And folks with uh, uh, some of the serious chronic mental illnesses like schizophrenia or something yeah, yeah. Um, that are struggling with uh, uh, voices or homeless and they, and they don't smell so good because they can't get an adequate place to sleep and shower right. and change right. clothes. Um, they, one, you know, it's way overstated the potential for violence mm-hmm. and everybody is scared of that. But just because you're psychotic, um, uh I mean, how do I want to say this? The, the odds of you being violent are like not much different, a smidgen higher than anyone else. And the odds of you being victimized by violence are much, much greater wow. than, than everyone else. You know, um, yeah. but and, and just acting like they're real people and human and as right. deserving as you of respect and courtesy. Mm-hmm. Um, right, right. Goes a long, long way, you know. Yeah. And challenging some of those assumptions, and I, I think many of us have been behavior modded a little bit to talk uh, psychobabble. But uh, you know um, that if you do that, once in a while, someone will ask you for money or change or something, and you want to avoid that because you don't, you know. And uh, but people overreact to that, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's just so helpful to just smile, say hello, or nod, you know. Um, as well as sort of engage in a conversation, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, be, before we run, run out of time, and I don't know exactly when that is, but I want to at least mention one thing that, that I have strong feelings about. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in the psychiatric world, um, there's been sort of one kind of thing that's really evidence-based as being more effective than other things and, and, and much more accessible. Uh, given the shortage of psychiatrists and other mid-levels and even therapists and stuff, mm-hmm. um, it's hard to get in. 
And one of the models is something called collaborative care management is where mm-hmm. um, it's a model where it's based in the primary care clinic and the primary care doctor's office. And um, it in, and it's something that is between 90 and 100 studies talking about how it's much more effective and cost effective and works faster than other studies. And it, it expands the access by uh, having um, a psychiatrist consult to the primary care doctor, just a, just one or a couple hours a week, depending on how large the panel is. And there is a care manager who um, is someone who um, has a role of, of um, educating patients in mental health issues, following up with them. Like if they if that person gets diagnosed with depression, maybe they get <clears throat> referred to a therapist and told to start an antidepressant. She he or she might call the patient after that and say, were you able to uh, uh, get an appointment with the therapist? Does it feel okay? Did you get in? Do you need any help troubleshooting? Because um, if you're depressed, you don't have your your normal perseverance and energy and initiative to follow up on things, the oomph. Um, or it could be they call and they say, did you um, get your script? Did you take it? Any mm-hmm. problems or side effects? Or there's something yeah. to troubleshoot here, you know? Um, and that person educates, follows up. The, the the patient that comes in is on a registry and we track how they're, whether they're getting better or not, whether, and, and we actually measure their anxiety level or the depression level, make sure it's getting better. If not, we troubleshoot and modify their, their treatment plan. Um, uh, there's someone who uh, can pick up this person is complaining of insomnia. So you can kind of uh, the psychiatrist can give them advice about let's look at their sleep hygiene. Let's look at how they're, if they're doing any, any caffeine or other things that might interfere with sleep, either they're taking it, it keeps them awake or they're withdrawing from something that keeps them awake, you know, that kinds of stuff. And it's used in all the mental health illnesses. The primary care doc does the prescriptions, but the psychiatrist runs the list and t- gives advice to the primary care doc and to this care manager. Um, and it works really well. So um, is that a re- so Mike is that like a referral type of of, of well if you go to the, if you're in that primary care clinic you'll you'll see the care manager and they'll screen things and and then they'll talk to the psychiatrist about it and the psychiatrist might be giving advice on eighty to hundred patients you know not and they're there every week um, one either either physically or virtually and and giving advice and. Um, it's something that was good enough that um, Medicare adopted it and pays for it. Um, Most private health plans do, but not all. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, but uh, in Minnesota, Minnesota MA doesn't pay for it, which is not a small percentage if you think about it. And if you're a primary care doc and, um, and, you want to use this for everybody that's depressed. You want to have to pick and choose depending on their insurance type, who you can mm-hmm. give it to, or else you give it and then you lose money. And then you say, this, mm-hmm. I can't continue to do this. I'm going to stop doing this. Um, so there was a bill in the legislature this last session, which was introduced primarily to sort of uh, mandate that Minnesota MA pay for it. <laughs> it got transfigured in the legislative process and it mandated that all private plans pay for it. Medicare already pays for it, but it excluded Minnesota MA. <laughs> <laughs> you you can't make this up. I mean, no, it's just no. it's, it's and it's, it just needs to be available for everybody. And it needs to be, and it would be really nice if we follow up on it this year. Yeah, and, you know, and Minnesota DHS, we, we presented it to them. They they made some 
good. They thought it was a good idea, but they wanted to sort of look at it more and the timing was short and they took it out of the governor's budget. But I hope they follow through. And if not, I hope the legislature makes it happen either way or ideally both. It becomes mandated. And I think DHS goes with it. And and it's one of those things where it got caught up in this thing where the fiscal note, they didn't want to they couldn't figure it out and they didn't do it. And it really saves money. There's an ROI with it. Um, yeah, yeah. But on the other hand, how they fiscally account the ROI, like a lot of things, if you treat mental illnesses or substance abuse, it decreases your medical costs down the line. Yeah. You know, yeah. and but you still have to pay for it initially. And whether they're really going to cost account that, how they'll do the fiscal note, it's, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm sure there'll be a battle over that. But it's one of the things we should really all support in this next, le- next year's legislative session. And you know, there's the Commonwealth has recommended that all states mandate uh, that MA pay for it. Then it's like, I think a little over half the states have done it so far, but not Minnesota. You know, um, there are particular models that have been have been proven pretty successful, like dentists, for instance, helping patients identify potential heart related problems and getting those patients to the point where they don't even treat them in the dental office, get them into their primary care doc, because for instance, their blood pressure is really high and off they go to get that taken care of before they get, you know, their, their teeth cleaned, for instance. So there are some interesting um, connections between healthcare providers that hopefully might have some implications even in here. So Mike, I want to, I want to try to, end this show on a positive note okay so based on your your career and and what you're seeing um what do you think what what's really good what are you seeing that's really positive right now i think the most positive thing is um most people are starting to realize and understand and at least partially, not completely, appreciate that uh, mental health and substance use disorders are really important. Yes. They're worsening and they deserve attention, effort, and to be and to get better. Yeah. And whether that will that focus will stay there or it'll kind of peter out, I don't know. Um, there's less stigma talking about it. And um uh I don't know, you're including it in your podcast. I don't know if you yeah. would have done it if it was five years ago, you know. <laughs> Five years ago, we weren't doing our podcast. <laughs> right, cool. well, definitely now's, the oppor- now's the opportunity. So, um, Mike, sincerely, many, many thanks for, for this um, trio of, of shows on, on mental health. I'm assuming that there will be more um, questions and issues that, that come up. And hopefully we can reserve the right to give you a call and have you back on our, our show. Or for that matter, even if there's something that you want to say through a, through a podcast like this, Health Chatter, feel free to contact us. It's It's been truly a, uh, a pleasure connecting with you over these three shows. So thank you very, very much. To our listening audience, we have great shows coming up, as you, as you well can imagine. Check out our, our website at healthchatterpodcast.com. Typically, we get a show out about once a week or so. So uh, keep health chatting. 
Oh, wait. Hi, everyone. It's Matthew from Behind the Scenes, and I wanted to let everyone know that we have a new website up and running, helpchatterpodcast.com. You can go on there. You can interact with us. You can communicate with us, send us a message. You can comment on each episode. You can rate us. Uh, and it's just another way for everyone to communicate with uh, Stan and Clarence and all of us at the Help Chatter team. So definitely check it out. Again, that's helpchatterpodcast.com.